16-year-old Michaela Bali had her whole life ahead of her when she disappeared in 2016. On that day, Michaela left school shortly after being dropped off by her grandmother. She was later captured on security footage at a Tim Hortons not far from her school, making several phone calls to someone. To this day, we have not been able to identify who was on the other end of those phone calls, and Michaela's whereabouts remain unknown. You are listening to Crime on My Mind, and this is the story of Michaela Bali. Thank you so much for joining me today. Before I get into today's story, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who has listened to my show, who has continued to listen and leave comments even while I've been on this extremely long hiatus. Um, I really appreciate everyone's um, reviews and comments either on YouTube or on Apple Podcasts. I know it's been quite some time since I've uploaded an episode, but I am hoping to get back into podcasting somewhat more regularly, so thank you to everyone who has been patiently waiting. Your support means everything to me. So now let's get into today's story because this is one that I first heard maybe a year or two ago, and I haven't been able to get it out of my head since then. It's a case that I feel really should have been solved by now, and that I think is 100% solvable. So let's get into it. Michaela Bali was 16 years old when she disappeared. Michaela lived in a city called Yorkton in the province of Saskatchewan, Canada. Michaela was described as a very sweet girl. She was a little shy, but she was very well liked by her peers. She had several friends at school that she was super close with. She was a very caring person, which was exemplified by the fact that she wanted to be either a teacher or a veterinarian when she grew up. Michaela loved music, she played the violin, and she was in theater and she even learned how to play Happy Birthday on the accordion for her aunt's birthday. Michaela struggled a bit with bullying, mostly due to her acne, which she was pretty insecure about, but overall she was described as a quiet but happy girl. Michaela lived with her mom, who was a single mom, and her younger brother and sister in Yorkton. Yorkton is a city in Saskatchewan with a population of just under 20,000 people. For those of you who aren't familiar, Saskatchewan is a province in western Canada. It is known as one of the three prairie provinces and is bordered by Alberta on the west and Manitoba on the east. 
Michaela attended Sacred Heart High School in Yorkton. April 12th, 2016 was a Tuesday, and it started out like any other day. Michaela got up in the morning and got ready for school. The family's usual routine was that Michaela's grandmother would pick the family up in the morning and drop off Michaela's mom at work first and then drop off Michaela at school. So that's what happened that morning. Michaela's mom and grandmother do not recall noticing anything different about Michaela that morning. She got ready as usual and her grandma dropped her off at school. Her grandma was supposed to pick her up when school let out at 3.40 p.m. to take Michaela to her music class. Michaela played the violin and had a big recital coming up, which she had been practicing for the night before. But when Michaela's grandmother came to the school at 3.40 that afternoon, Michaela was nowhere to be found. Immediately, Michaela's grandmother knew that something was wrong. Michaela was usually very punctual and never went anywhere or changed any plans without telling either her mom or her grandma. So thinking that Michaela maybe had gotten caught up with something at school and was running late, her grandmother went inside and started looking for her. She asked some of Michaela's teachers and classmates if they had seen her, but they all said that they hadn't seen her since that morning and that Michaela hadn't shown up to any of her classes. This worried her grandmother a lot, so she ended up going to see Michaela's mom at work and tell her what was going on. Michaela's mom and grandmother then both came back to the school and looked everywhere again. They also went ahead and checked to see if Michaela was at her music class, because again, she was super excited about her upcoming recital, so maybe she had gone there early, but she wasn't there either. At this point, both Michaela's grandmother and her mom are panicking. They know that it isn't like Michaela at all to disappear without telling anyone. They call and text her, but continue to get no response. So by 8 p.m., her family had reported Michaela missing to Yorkton authorities. Now let's dive into the timeline a little bit more. And I'm going to backtrack a little bit to the day before Michaela disappeared. According to two of Michaela's best friends, Oksana and Shelby, the day before Michaela disappeared, so April 11th, the group of friends had gone to a fast food restaurant together for lunch. While at lunch, Michaela had been talking about possibly going somewhere for vacation soon. According to her friends, Michaela had mentioned two different places called Moose Jaw and Prince Albert, which are two different cities in the province of Saskatchewan, which is where Michaela and her friends live. They also recalled that Michaela had mentioned going somewhere for vacation with her family. They believed that this was either Regina or Saskatoon, which are two of the biggest cities in the province of Saskatchewan. At the time, Michaela's friends hadn't really thought anything of this. Her friends would later say that they all often dreamed about moving to or even visiting some of these bigger cities in Saskatchewan because there were just more things for young people like them to do there. But of course, now that Michaela was missing, they felt that this was kind of suspicious. 
That same day, April 11th, at around 4.35 p.m., Michaela texted her friend Oksana, asking if she could take her to the TD Bank the next day. Michaela emphasized to Oksana that this was really important and Oksana had agreed to take her. Afterwards, Michaela called TD Bank customer service about three different times. She then transferred $25 from her bank account. I couldn't tell exactly where Michaela transferred this money to, whether it was from her bank account to someone else's, or from one of her accounts to another one of her accounts, like, for example, from her savings to her checkings or vice versa. I'm assuming that it's the latter because if she had transferred money to someone else's account, you would think that we would know who that other person is because there would be a record of it. That same night, Michaela texts three different people between 8.50 and 9 p.m. First, she texts her friend Amy, saying that she needs help. Amy responds asking why, but reportedly, Michaela never answered. She then messages her friend Shelby about a boy, how she felt bad for someone, and that she was crying and very upset. She also texted her ex-boyfriend that she wasn't happy and that she was thinking about going to Regina for a couple of days. Now remember that that same day, Michaela's friends had said that she had been talking about potentially going to Regina for a family vacation as well. Regina is a very big city that is the capital of Saskatchewan and about two hours away from Yorkton, where Michaela lived. Now, I have been trying to find more information about what exactly these text messages said, but have been unsuccessful. I would love to know exactly why Michaela messaged Shelby saying she was upset and what boy she was talking about, but unfortunately, I was not able to find that information. The next day at 6.45 a.m., Michaela texts Oksana again asking if she can take her to the bank. Oksana responds saying that the bank probably doesn't open till 8. Michaela then responds something along the lines of, quote, well then, how will you take me, end quote. So you can tell from her response that she wasn't very happy with Oksana's answer. Michaela's grandmother drops her off at school between 8.10 and 8.20 a.m. At 8.22 a.m., security footage from the school shows Michaela walking in and putting something inside of her locker. Police were later able to gain access to this item inside the locker, and they have said that it was just a binder that had nothing of significance in it. About six minutes later, Michaela is seen leaving school through a back entrance. She didn't show up to her first period. One of her teachers did later note that Michaela had seemed, quote, off that morning, but that she hadn't really thought anything of it. Now, one thing to note about Michaela is that she used a lot of different social media sites and messaging apps. Michaela was very shy, and so it was easier for her to meet people online. She would meet people on Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, and also on a messaging platform called Kick. 
For those of you who don't know, Kick is an online messaging app where you can basically talk to strangers and there's no way of tracking it. Michaela's friends would later say that Michaela had been communicating with at least four guys from Canada and the U.S. at that time. And we'll talk more about some of these guys in a little bit. At 8.51 a.m., so about 20 minutes after she left school, Michaela is seen arriving at TD Bank. According to Google Maps, this is about a 2.1 kilometer or 1.3 mile walk from Michaela's school. So it would have taken her about 20 or 30 minutes to walk there, which fits with our timeline. This is the bank that Michaela had been calling and that she had asked Oksana to take her to. On video footage, Michaela is seen talking on the phone when she gets to the bank, and she's seen waiting for the bank to open. When it does open, Michaela goes in and withdraws $55 from her bank account. She then leaves by 8.55 a.m. She's once again seen outside of the bank, talking on the phone for a few minutes. Now, you may be thinking right now that Michaela was talking to someone on the phone, and so of course phone records must be able to tell us who exactly Michaela was talking to. Well, authorities did access Michaela's phone records to see who she had been on the phone with that day. However, they discovered that Michaela had not made or received any calls at all that day. Now, We'll see as we go through our timeline that Michaela has been seen on video making and receiving phone calls quite a lot throughout the day. So unless she was just pretending to be on the phone, she must have been talking to someone. How exactly she was making those phone calls, however, is not clear. It's definitely possible that she was talking to someone through an app. As most of us probably know, you can call people via Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, all of that nowadays. And those records wouldn't necessarily show up on cell phone records. You would need to get into the app itself to see who someone is communicating with. There's also apps that are specifically made for calling and communicating with people, so it's definitely possible and also very likely that this is how Michaela was communicating with whoever she was speaking with on the phone that day. And it's very likely that whoever she was communicating with is also whoever is responsible for her disappearance. So after leaving the bank, Michaela goes across the street to a place called Terry's Pawn and Bargain. The owner remembers that Michaela got there right as he was opening the shop up and that she was trying to pawn off one of her rings. It was a small silver ring and the owner remembers telling her that this would be too small to pawn off. The owner recalls that Michaela was not overly upset by this news, but simply said thank you and left. At 9.10 a.m., Michaela is seen at the Tim Hortons that is just five minutes down the road from the pawn shop and the bank. 
This was actually, I believe, a combined Tim Hortons and Wendy's, which is actually a pretty common occurrence in Canada. I was actually just in Canada recently and noticed that I saw a lot of combined Tim Hortons and Wendy's. They're probably owned by the same people or something. But anyways, Michaela bought a coffee at the register and then sat down at one of the booths. She's seen on the security footage sitting down on her phone. And I really encourage all of you who are listening to look up this footage online on YouTube. Most, if not all, of this footage is readily available and I think it will provide a much better picture of what Michaela was doing that morning. So Michaela's sitting down at this booth. She's on her phone. At one point, it seems like she takes her phone apart and then puts it back together again. And it looks like she's doing this quite intently, almost like she's trying to figure out how to like change something out, maybe a SIM card. She's also seen occasionally turning around to look behind her at the door. Again, it's much easier if you see it than if I'm just describing it, so definitely take a look at that footage. I'll also try to link some of that in the show notes. So in this footage, Michaela is also seen carrying a backpack that seems very heavily packed. And at first thought, this might not seem odd because Michaela was supposed to be at school that day. But according to her friends, Michaela never took a backpack to school. She was the type of girl who always took a purse to school and only took the things that she absolutely needed for school. So the fact that she was carrying a backpack that looked this full was definitely out of character for her. 13 minutes later at 9.23, Michaela gets up and walks out one of the exits to the store, but then she turns around and goes back into the Tim Hortons to walk out the other exit, almost like she realizes that she went out the wrong exit and actually wanted to go out to a different side of the store. At 9.42 a.m., so about 20 minutes later, Michaela is seen walking out from behind a store called Giant Tiger and then heading back to Tim Hortons. I actually had no idea what Giant Tiger was, but apparently it's a Canadian discount store and this store was in the same shopping complex as the Tim Hortons. Again, it appears as though Michaela is talking on the phone as she walks into the Tim Hortons at 9.49. She sits down at a different booth, hangs up the phone, and then is seen just kind of looking at her phone while she sits at the booth. So for some time, Michaela is seen just sitting at the booth, kind of waiting around, going back and forth between being on her phone and staring out the window. And not staring out the window in a sense that she is looking for someone, but kind of just staring out the window in a way that you do when you have nothing else to do. She's biting her nails occasionally. Um, It almost seems like she's waiting for an important phone call, like the way that I would be sitting around if I was maybe waiting for someone to call with important news. At 10.12, about 20 minutes later, Michaela sends a text message to Shelby that says, quote, hey, I need help, end quote. She is then seen to be on and off her phone six times total in the next half an hour. After this, she texts Shelby again and says, quote, never mind, I figured it out, end quote. 
Right after this, at 10.25 a.m., Michaela once again exits the Tim Hortons, only to turn right back around and come inside again, all while she is still talking on the phone. She stays on the phone for a while, then hangs up, waits a little bit, and then takes another phone call. And each time she hangs up the phone, it's like she's waiting for someone to call again. And when they do call again, she picks up and starts talking. So I don't think she's the one actually making these calls. I think she's waiting for someone to call her. At around 10.39 a.m., while Michaela is on the phone, she starts looking around her. At 10.43, she's off the phone and she gets up and walks toward a woman sitting next to her at a table. Police were later able to track this woman down and apparently Michaela had asked her to help her to rent a hotel room. I'm not sure if she gave any information about why she needed a hotel room or where the hotel room was. Some reports say that she didn't specify where the hotel room was, Others say that she said that it was in Regina. The woman also said that she wasn't sure whether Michaela needed money to rent the room or whether she needed someone old enough to rent it for her. But either way, the woman turned her down. I would be really curious to know exactly why Michaela needed help renting a room because the events from this morning of her going to the bank and also trying to pawn her ring would suggest that she needed money for the room. However, if she just needed someone who was old enough to rent the room, then I think that would suggest that the room she wanted to rent was in the area rather than two whole hours away at Regina because presumably the person who rents the room would need to be at the hotel to show some ID. Apparently, Michaela was once again not super upset when she was turned down. She instead just walked back to her own booth and then was seen making another phone call as she walks out of the store. Michaela is not seen again until about an hour later at noon when she's seen back at school. Presumably, she walked back to school. It would take about 30 to 40 minutes to walk from the Tim Hortons back to her school, so that fits with the timeline. At around 11.35 a.m., while she was headed back to school, she sends a text to Shelby that says, quote, I'll see you at lunch, end quote. Surveillance footage shows her walking into the school at noon and talking to two students in the cafeteria. Apparently, these students were later interviewed and said that Michaela told them that she was about to go on a bus to go on vacation in Regina. She didn't give any more information than that. However, one of the students did later say that it appeared as though Michaela had two phones on her. Michaela talks to these students for less than a minute before once again exiting the school. So this idea that Michaela had two phones on her is really interesting. I couldn't find any other report saying that Michaela was known to have two phones, 
but perhaps this is why no phone calls were recorded on her actual phone. Did she have a second phone, maybe a burner phone that she used to talk to whoever it is that she was meeting up with that day? Or maybe did she switch a SIM card from a different phone to her phone so no one could track her calls? Remember, there's video footage of Michaela in the Tim Hortons, and it kind of looks like she's maybe taking her phone apart and putting it back together again. Now, this is where the surveillance footage stops. However, we know that Michaela was seen by witnesses that day at the Yorkton bus depot. An employee at the bus depot said that Michaela had come in between 10 a.m. and noon. So possibly that is where she went after she's seen leaving Tim Hortons at around 11 a.m. The bus depot is only about a 10-minute walk down the road from the Tim Hortons, so it's possible she stopped there before walking back to school for lunch. But the timeline doesn't really match up because Michaela apparently stayed at the bus depot for quite a while. The employee says that she had asked when the next bus to Regina was, and she was told it was at 5 p.m. that day. After hearing this, Michaela didn't buy a ticket and left. On her way, she stopped at the cafe in the bus depot and ordered poutine. One of the workers at the bus depot would say that they saw Michaela leave the bus depot with a man who had a tattoo of a flaming cross on the back of his forearm. This worker was brought in by police and was able to assist with making a sketch of the tattoo, which was later released to the media. However, apparently the man with the flaming cross tattoo had seen the sketch and brought himself into the police department. Police questioned him and determined that he was simply holding the door open for Michaela, and he was cleared as a suspect. Since then, there have been no more sightings of Michaela and no communication from her. The next day at 6.51 a.m., her phone was shut off and it has never been turned back on again. There has been no activity on her social media or any of her bank accounts, and no one has heard from her again. Now, let's dive into law enforcement's investigation into this case. Probably the biggest barrier that has prevented this case from being solved was that law enforcement didn't have access to any of Michaela's social media accounts until about 10 months after her disappearance. This is due to privacy laws between Canada and the U.S. that prevented them from being able to access her accounts. This, in my opinion, was probably the biggest roadblock in this case, and honestly, probably the reason why this very solvable case has not yet been solved. If police had been able to access Michaela's social media accounts that very night that she disappeared, or even in the days or weeks following her disappearance, I'm sure that they would have been able to find something, some clue about who she was communicating with that day. Unfortunately though, after 10 months, there's a very low likelihood that any of the necessary information from Michaela's accounts is still there. By that point, the perpetrator had almost certainly either deleted all of his accounts or deleted any communications from Michaela's phone with him. 
Now, going back to the boys who Michaela was reportedly talking to before her disappearance, her friends had mentioned someone by the name of Christopher, who Michaela had met online and would often talk about. Apparently, Michaela had told her friend Amy that Christopher was coming to Saskatchewan to visit her. This Christopher was identified as a boy from North Carolina in the United States. He was someone who Michaela had been messaging on Instagram. Christopher was allegedly interviewed by both Canadian and American police officers, and his home in North Carolina was even searched, but he was eventually ruled out as a suspect as there was no evidence that he was even in Canada when Michaela disappeared. Christopher did tell the media, though, that Michaela had allegedly struggled with self-harm in the past and that he had been trying to talk with her to get her help. Another boy that Michaela had talked to her friends about was someone named Josh. No one knew Josh's last name, but police did interview several people with the name Josh who may have had some sort of interaction with Michaela leading up to her disappearance. This included someone from the town of Churchbridge, which is about 60 kilometers or 37 miles from Yorkton. According to a CBC News article, this Josh from Churchbridge had stated to police that he had only talked to Michaela once, several years before her disappearance, until she found his number several years later and reached out to him. They talked for a little bit, but then fell out of touch again. Reportedly, the last time they had talked was about three years before Michaela went missing. Police interviewed Josh and ultimately also cleared him as a suspect. Another suspicious discovery made during the investigation was that the February before Michaela disappeared, so about two months earlier, Michaela had received a delivery of a bouquet of roses to school on Valentine's Day. One of Michaela's classmates had witnessed this delivery and remembers thinking that it was odd that the flowers came in a plain cardboard box. This wasn't typical of the boxes that florists in Yorkton used, so it was thought that these roses must have been delivered from out of town. Police, however, allegedly found the person who sent these roses and cleared him or her as a suspect. This person has never been named publicly. It's possible that it was one of the many guys that Michaela was talking to online, but it's also possible that it had nothing to do with her online presence or her disappearance. Police also checked all of the hotels in the Yorkton area, but no one remembered seeing anyone matching Michaela's description. Now, there are of course people online who believe Michaela must have just simply run away. Michaela's mother, though, thinks this is absolutely not a possibility. This is for a few reasons. First, Michaela's mom kept a stash of cash in the house, and Michaela knew about this and knew that she could use it if she ever needed to. When Michaela's mom checked this stash after her disappearance, though, all of the money was still there. So if Michaela so desperately needed money for a hotel room or for a bus ticket to the point where she began to try to pawn off her own jewelry, why wouldn't she have taken some of that cash with her? Michaela's mom also says that Michaela did not take with her her phone charger, 
her makeup, or her acne medication. Remember that Michaela was very insecure about her acne, and so she definitely would not have gone anywhere without her makeup or her medication. And as someone who has struggled with acne myself in the past, I can 100% empathize with this. It used to be very difficult for me to even step outside without makeup on, just because of how insecure I was about my skin. And it seems like Michaela was a very similar kind of person in that regard. So I definitely can see how it would be very hard for Michaela's mom to believe that she would go somewhere intending to spend the night, but not take any of her makeup or her medication. So all of this really indicates, at least to me, that Michaela was likely planning on returning home that day. Now, even though all of Michaela's social media accounts and phone activity went quiet after her disappearance, Michaela's friend Shelby did report that on the day she went missing, Shelby had sent Michaela a bunch of Snapchats that had never been opened. If you have Snapchat, you know that there's a little um, arrow next to each message or picture that you send, and if someone opens your message, that arrow becomes blank. So it's an easy way to tell if someone has opened or read your message yet. So Shelby could tell that Michaela hadn't opened those messages. About three months later though, Shelby checked her Snapchat and saw that someone using Michaela's phone had opened those messages. And she knew this because the arrow next to the message became blank, indicating that someone had opened it. This definitely gave Shelby a little bit of hope that maybe Michaela was still out there somewhere. Sadly though, I don't really put much stock into this. I think that it's more likely that this was some sort of a Snapchat glitch rather than Michaela herself looking at the message. Now, let's move on to theories about this case. Personally, I don't think that Michaela ran away of her own free will. I do think that she was planning on meeting someone that day, likely someone she had met on the internet. Someone who had groomed her over a period of time, someone she had grown to trust, who had convinced her to keep him a secret from even her closest friends. Someone who told her, don't call me, wait for my call because maybe he was at work or had a family and wanted to make these calls to her on his own time when he was alone and available. And I think that's why in most of the footage from Tim Hortons, we see Michaela kind of just waiting around for one of these calls to come in, not necessarily making the calls herself. I also think it's quite likely that this person actually was from Regina, since Michaela did mention that city several times to several different people in the days leading up to her disappearance. And I agree with Michaela's mom in that I do think that Michaela was probably intending to come home that night. Otherwise, why wouldn't she have taken her phone charger, her makeup, her medication, even something as simple as a toothbrush with her. So I think maybe she wanted to spend the day with this person. Maybe this guy was coming into town after they had spoken for a really long time and she was intending to spend a nice day with him. Maybe this guy had wanted her to go to the bank that morning and take out some money so that they could rent a hotel room in Yorkton for the day. But then something went wrong. 
Maybe Michaela realized that either she didn't have enough money or she wasn't old enough to rent a hotel room on her own. So then this guy tells her that they have to change plans and instead she needs to buy a bus ticket to Regina where he was. So I think that's why she probably went to the bus depot, but the next bus wasn't until 5 p.m., which was probably too late for her if she wanted to be back that same night. Now, what happened after this, I'm not exactly sure. I don't know why Michaela went back to her school that day. Maybe she had some time to kill until the next bus. Maybe this guy told her, you know, forget about the bus, it's too late, I'm just gonna come pick you up, you hang out at school or somewhere else, and I'll meet you there. I don't know, there's a bunch of different theories that you can come up with, but I do think that somehow Michaela either made it to Regina or intended to make it to Regina, and I really think that Regina and the surrounding areas hold the key to finding where Michaela Bali is and what happened to her. Overall, I think this case is just so tragic and especially so because I think it has the potential to be solved. I think it could have been solved right after she disappeared if only the police had access to her social media accounts, to her phone records. I think that the answers definitely lie in those accounts, in whoever it was that Michaela was messaging and calling that day. I really wish that Michaela had reached out to someone, had told them who she was meeting, but of course, it's definitely not her fault. She was probably groomed to not tell anyone, even her closest friends. This is how older men and older, even women, groom younger people. They tell them, you know, this is our little secret. You can't trust anyone. You can only trust me. And someone who's vulnerable and insecure will believe that and will go along with that. Even though we just passed the six-year anniversary of Michaela's disappearance, there is still a lot of attention on this case. An anonymous donor recently added $60,000 to the reward fund, increasing the total to $100,000 for anyone who has any information leading to someone being charged or Michaela being found. Michaela's mother and siblings definitely have not given up hope. I really encourage you guys to check out their Instagram and Facebook pages that her family has been running. I will link them in the description box for this episode. Michaela is definitely not forgotten, and someone somewhere out there knows what happened to her. So if you have any information about the disappearance of Michaela Bali, please call or text local Saskatchewan police at 306-641-9436, or you can email miraclemichaela at gmail.com. That's miraclemichaela with Michaela spelled M-E-K-A-Y-L-A.
Apparently, these students... Hello? Hello?